are listening to The Cooler Ring, a podcast made for manufacturing marketers. Here are Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Welcome to The Cooler Ring, a podcast for manufacturing marketers brought to you by Cooler Partners. My name is Jeff White. Joining me today is Carmen Perry. Carmen, how are you doing, sir? All is well. All is well. Are you? I'm doing great. Nice. Doing great. I realized my voice cracked in the middle of that. I should probably do it again. I, you're going to um, uh, lose your radio voice street cred. <laughs> yeah. No, we'll just let that go. Let that go. What little street cred I have. Yeah, exactly. Gone out the window. Yeah. Sorry, Mom. <laughs> well, look, um, I think today's conversation, I, I, I'm, I'm curious to kick this around with you um, because I guess like, let's just kind of First things first, uh, buyer personas have been around as a almost a default foundational item in the marketer's toolkit for quite a while now. I mean, for sure, certainly as, as inbound marketing popularized it, yeah, content marketing, et cetera, became a thing, you know, it became a bit of a standard, I guess, to say until you have your buyer persona sort yeah it was certainly i mean my goodness i remember the original hubspot training the very first thing was around developing buyer personas yeah and they were so precise and uh it seemed very clean <laughs> like yeah, a very a very clean way to define who you're selling to yeah and, and i mean look uh, anybody that's ever done buyer persona work before knows that it's uh you know, it's obviously uh, meant to be an approximation. It's, uh, yeah. Um, you know, nobody. I don't think anybody doing that work thinks that they're being exactly accurate uh, in in what they articulate. I mean, it's more of a generalization after generalization. Yeah, I I do think that you know because we have developed certainly lots of personas over the years. You know, going back to the our early days as a HubSpot partner agency. But I think one of the things that we've often kind of used to differentiate how we think about personas and how a lot of the personas that have come to us have been are those, uh, you know, those buying triggers and buying objections. I think those are a little... A little harder working, I think. Uh, The notion of looking at what are the marketing triggers that this persona might be experiencing uh, what are the initial objections they may have um, in, in, in the course of a sales process? Um, it helps point in the direction of, in some ways, um, things that your marketing might be able to address before sales has to have uh, has to do so. Um, yeah, I think that's useful. Yeah, you know. yeah. Like we're, we're not trying to throw personas completely under the bus, but I guess we are kind of openly wondering and i hope the uh, audience will uh, kind of let us know what they think as well right about um about you know how useful are they these days is this something that uh, maybe we're placing a little bit too much importance on Cause I, I, and i think probably why we started questioning it uh, a number of years ago was this oftentimes your people write too many of them like too often there's too many personas is my, how i might say it and that um, you know as you try to craft a, a customized marketing content to a, a a collection of personas that's 10 15 20 deep um all of a sudden 
you know, I, I, I guess the old line I always said, Jeff, is that the act of writing personas was an act of writing a check that your content budget needed to cash later. Um, <laughs> and you can't, you know, at, at some point, you're just not willing to do it. You're not willing to customize content at a persona level uh, to such a degree when you have so many, etc. So in some ways, it almost becomes... Per, the personas is almost sometimes the more of them you have, the less useful they are. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, if you're getting to that point where and we've seen this before, like 15, 18, 20 personas, you know, if you're getting to that point, it's sometimes hard to relinquish that level of control and maybe dial it back and try and generalize if you're going to use them as a foundation for your ongoing content or, or something of that sort. I was just saying, there's all kinds of there's pressure to add more. Um, yeah, uh, people see the complexity in the business. Of course, they they know that buying committees are getting bigger. Um, uh, lots of research around to support that. So, you, you know that when you try to say that it ought to be there ought to be fewer personas, it sometimes seems to run counter to their instincts. Yeah, I, I think you're probably right. But I, would you? Would you counsel anyone in a B2B marketing organization right now who's selling into a buying committee of 12 people to write personas for each of those 12? Yeah, I don't think so. I can't, I, I really can't think of a situation where, you know, maybe if it was like a, you know, we're talking like it's a super high end purchase, like, purchase price of 10 million plus or something like that. there's a so there, there's this uh maybe at that kind of scenario you, you could make the argument but then i'm going to just disagree with myself and say that still does that doesn't even work then because if it's that custom then it's that big you're going to want to do contact level research for that specific target account um because why would you want to have generalized assumptions yeah, yeah, of no, you're right. data about who that person is when if it's a specific account, you can actually just find out who that person is and target it that way. Yeah. Yeah. So agreed. And so, yeah, I don't, I don't think I ever would recommend it. And then there's also, don't, yeah, it's hard to see how actionable it is. Like what can you really do with it yeah. anyway? Yeah. Well, and then, you know, if you start to think about, the groupings of personas if you're trying to do that for every different type of buying committee you know you are already at a deficit in terms of being able to craft content that suits each one of those people um you know now you're just it's even worse because you've got every niches every verticals buying committee adjusted with personas for each there's just no way it makes no sense yeah it, uh i kind of maybe now would be an interesting time to bring it up i i, I I was reading uh, some uh, articles from a, a marketer the other day. Uh, she she specializes in customer journey mapping work, um, and and articulates you know crafts personas as part of that work. And um, there, I guess what she was advocating for or suggesting is that maybe personas had become uh, maybe we were being too gendered in twenty twenty two. Um, with our personas, it even uh, went so far as to suggest, rather than having names like 
uh, I don't know, procurement Peter <laughs> or whatever, which we've all. Why was it always like that? Oh my God. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, but rather than having names, um, she was uh, suggesting maybe what they ought to be as initials so that you, um, you know, it wasn't immediately gendered. And that was like, okay, well, that's interesting. And of course, you know, some, she's quite right. It is 2022. And maybe we ought to be thinking about some of these things a little differently, not trying to, um, you know, try to get too woke on our audience or anything like that. I'm, I'm just saying like, no, no, but my goodness, I mean, it, all of a sudden it becomes, you know, okay. So instead of procurement, Peter, it's PP, which is far worse. Um, <laughs> but you know, but yeah, yeah. You know, but then it, it, it loses its usefulness because really the name, now I realize the name is also assigning the gender, but generally gender has been defined within a persona usually anyway. Um, so it was meant to be shorthand to be able to refer to, you know, what, what are we working on for procurement, Peter, in this process? Yeah, and look, and so many, so, so often when people talk about selling into engineers, you'll hear, oh, well, they're, they're white guys, they're 35 to 55, they drive Ford F-150s, like there's like the the gender and everything. it's all like you know people just assume that they know and um yeah so so i guess you're saying you know we, we it uses it loses its utility by going to um uh, to initials but what it led me to wonder was did it have any utility anyway like, well and if, that's yeah like if we're yeah. willing to lose it if there's actually a pro that's been engaged in this for an awfully long time, suggesting that we move to initials and that we don't lose anything as a result, well then, what else? Yeah, I mean, you you mentioned the the ubiquitous F one fifty. I mean, my goodness, we could could have put our kids through college writing personas for organizations with personas who drive F one fifties. But you know, the other one is age. And the fact of the matter is, if you're, you know, if you're getting so specific with your personas that you're defining someone, you know, oh, they're 48 to 55 and male and white, not very good with technology. <laughs> yeah. And but really into sports. Yeah. Which is always and then the you go to an, and then you go to an airport. <laughs> Yeah. and look who's using technology all over the yeah, place yes, Susan. yeah yes exactly i encourage anyone to go to an airport uh, try to uh, look at everybody that you've just kind of made assume is over 60. there will be a lot of them there they will all be on their iphone uh it, it doesn't really matter how old they are and and then we talk about the ubiquitous uh sports loving uh 45 to 50 year old engineer whatever it is um you know if you watch any sports really these days who's the biggest advertiser in sports uh on, on a lot of the online venues and are all trying to um uh, advertise uh gaming like uh, mm. sports betting right it, it's a, a huge business um what so this person that's really in the sports doesn't sports bet though the only person that sports bet is the 19 year old because i i'd say no no the person that you say doesn't isn't particularly good with technology is probably placing bets on their football team uh, on their phone while they use the washroom in the morning not to get too graphic yeah. 
yeah. checking their fantasy baseball scores. Yeah, exactly, or whatever. Like, uh, uh, you're, you're quite right. Like, like uh, you know, the, I don't know how how useful the age is. I mean, and, and how are you going to operationalize it? Like, so. So you were going to write content that somehow was in the vernacular of a an ESPN announcer calling a basketball game like, <laughs> like yeah it's just not going to it's not going to work yeah what what i guess what what is the guidance that that's going to give you yeah um, yeah what utility does it have in improving the sales process a level of education may uh, uh, and technical knowledge in the subject matter area may uh, well tell give you guidance in your content writing around how how specific you need to get and how um, how technical you can be or ought to be. Um, so I can see some of those considerations may, maybe being um, more useful than uh, some of the other stuff that we've uh, weighed so heavily on in the past, like they drive a Ford, they, they're into sports, the, gen the, the, the gender, the age. It's like, hmm, I'm not so sure. And well, I think so often too, you know, the, these become victims of their of their age as well, because you know people often say, "Oh, you know, we're gonna we're gonna iterate on these, and we're gonna, you know, keep updating them as we learn more." And and the fact of the matter is, they never really do. Um, if anything, they just redo them a couple years later. But uh, again, they're still based on assumptions, and and I mean, there aren't. There aren't many organizations that I've seen that are actually operationalizing data to inform personas. I mean, we talked to Cynthia Kellum again a little while back from TE, and you know they're building their persona profiles based on purchase behavior and you know all of the other NPS type data and other things. So they they can cross reference that so many different ways and actually be making informed decisions about it. But most organizations don't have the capacity for that. Yeah. That, I'll be curious to hear how they, how they make out with that because like, w will it give them anything that is uh, particularly actionable or alternatively, will they just find, huh, people that buy our stuff really diverse, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like go golly gee. There are people from a lot of different backgrounds and a lot of yep. you know, like that. Yeah, like, might that be where you just end up? I mean, um, which I guess is kind of knocking on the door of this other problem with personas. I think, which is just sometimes I feel like they're just too self-referency. How many times have I talked to a B two B marketer who, uh, for instance, was white? that had made a persona and that persona was anything other than white. Like it, it, it doesn't like, like in, a, in consumer personas, maybe you would see it a little bit more often in, in, B, in the B2C world. But if you're looking at B2B buyer personas, it, it feels like a lot of that, especially in these global operations. I mean, it, you it know, clearly not everybody's white. Like, we, yeah, exactly. Uh, but it's interesting that most of the personas kind of are. And so I guess two points is like how much other persona information is very self-referencing and not particularly reliable. Um, and then how do you operationalize it anyway? So if you know somebody 
you know, the language that they speak is, is helpful to know, <laughs> mm -hmm. but, mm -hmm. but their uh, skin color isn't really, no. you know, you're not going to talk to them differently as a result. Yeah. I mean, if, if you know which countries you're selling into, you can maybe uh, look at some different sensitivities that way. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. or approaches to business that differ by jurisdictions. But uh... I, I will say this, this is completely a tangent, but I promise it's interesting, is that last week I went to Quebec with my son for a mountain biking vacation and I used Airbnb to book a place to stay. And one of the things that I've never seen before that I thought was really crazy was that Airbnb was actually translating my messages to the host from English to French and their messages back to me from French to English. And it was really good. And it actually told you that that was happening. So it's almost like a Star Trek communicator, <laughs> you know, where we're, we may be getting to a point where the AI is good enough to do on the fly translation for many situations, you know, which I think is really interesting, kind of where we might be able to go from a language perspective. So are you kind of saying, you, you you know so maybe you don't even need to know that's kind of what you're saying well that that's kind of what i'm saying like what what value is it at some point maybe it it's not useful at all to know if someone speaks punjabi or you know kanji or english or french you know you just need to be able to serve the appropriate thing right from a digital perspective right there still may be some um Nuance, well, yeah, so especially to, I mean, to creative, you know. Yeah, but. you know how how um, you know styles of humor often decode differently. Mm -hmm. and, you know. mm -hmm. Oh, we we get to see some people get into very hot water <laughs> with these technologies coming online, but uh, you know, so I, you know, if if age isn't important and gender isn't important and interests aren't useful and maybe even language is potentially not the tool we thought it was then perhaps personas aren't useful as a tool for for marketing but what should we be looking at yeah because <laughs> yeah, we got to define it somehow you can't just write stuff for nobody let's just not worry about who we're making this for at all like yeah <laughs> <laughs> no that's not what i'm saying no, i know i know <laughs> That was a setup. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I mean, um, I, I thought look, it was a recent podcast, I think, with uh, with Eddie, um, like a week or two ago. Yeah, Eddie um, Saunders. Yeah, I think it was him that uh, kind of tended to think about his content. He, he talked about blue collars and white collars, and uh, basically kind of saying, like, look, it's the people that. Uh, on the factory floor or working in it every day or what have you that are going to tell the white collar people what they have to buy. Um, and he, he kind of seemed to uh, think about the content platforms a little bit through that lens. Like, yeah, you're, like, I, I think he might say, yeah, sure, maybe you're not talking to the white collars on TikTok, but you're talking to the blue collars on TikTok. Yeah, because you know that the white collars talk to the blue collars to find out what they actually right. is his idea. I, yeah, I, I don't, I'm not necessarily saying I fully agree with him or disagree. All I'm more saying is it's at least another way to maybe carve this up or to think about yeah. it. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Which is kind of 
maybe potentially more useful in, yeah, in some potentially shorthand. Yeah. yeah, it's it feels to me like that kind of idea, and maybe it's just because he's a bit more of a growth hacker than a you know traditional marketing digital marketing guy. Um, the, those the kinds of ways of thinking about it and uh, and separating that would seem to align with you know choosing platforms to communicate with people but i mean i guess that's that's useful everywhere so I, maybe i take it back uh, i'm not just saying it's like all nouveau growth hacker you know <laughs> no stuff. it's not really <laughs> it's yeah but i i do think i do think that there's there's something to that more kind of saas style of uh, growth marketing that fits and aligns with that perspective a bit more than you might see frequently in b2b manufacturing market right but i mean yeah but it doesn't have to be i mean i, I, I can think of a lot of manufacturing uh, environments where that blue collar white collar dynamic seems to exist that uh, you you could you could probably argue that um there's more overlap there than than the that than that framework uh, permits or allows for, if you know. But uh, but a, any framework is in some ways necessarily a bit of a oversimplification, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. But I think there is. You know, our general sense of it would be that you're much better off focusing on ideal customer profiles or, or a target accounts approach, eh? Well, I think, yeah, I mean, I think typically if you can stick more on the firmographic side, those ideal customer profiles that determine, uh, you know, the industry codes that you sell into and, the, uh, you know, kind of ideal customer, uh, paint, a, paint a picture of your ideal customer from a point of view of, of annual revenue and employee count. Um, location location uh, potentially uh, although just yeah. increasingly global but yeah so of course location is, is and uh, uh and and as you do that i mean does that help shape your messaging maybe in a way in the way that a persona does or could I, I think it could. I mean, I think it can in some ways because, you know, you may speak to oil and gas differently than you speak to semiconductors. I suppose. You may use different terminology that way. Well, so that, I think. But would you talk yeah. to them differently if it's a 3,000 plus company? Well, you might, maybe, maybe you might. But I think the, the primary utility or one of the primary functions of that is it then enables you to create a target account list. Um, and. And that's pretty darn helpful, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then, and you can stay maybe a little bit more focused on the problems your business solves within that particular industry or category uh, in your in your messaging, and um, and not be too worried about changing or or tweaking uh, uh, messaging to fit personas. Uh, right. That frankly, just um, message into batches of target accounts that are have some similarities. Yeah. And of course, you could account-based experience and per, account-based personalization and things of that nature can be used to, uh, or even just augment or, that. Yeah, or, or just fully one-to-one -one custom ABM campaigns to go further down that road. But well, and and I think 
you know, if you're getting to the level where you have a, you know, a tier, a triple A tier one, you know, <laughs> out of this world account prospect, you can get down to the level of contact research where instead of trying to use a persona to define the people, you can define the people people. And, and that can if, be very, very useful. I mean, like even things we've seen uh, uh, occasions where we've identified a similar uh, kind of a shared uh, educational, uh, you know, people that went to the same school uh, mm-hmm. uh, as, uh, you know, oh, oh my goodness, are you serious? My CEO and the CEO of my biggest target account actually graduated from the same school in the same year. Like, you know, mm-hmm. some of that can happen. Um, uh, even you might find, uh, uh, you know, somebody has a, you know, maybe they're a, they're a big Green Bay Packers fan or something like that. Well, you know, in a one-to-one outreach, you can leverage that information, um, you know, in a lot of different ways. Uh, and, and so therefore it makes it useful when you kind of, that same information when it's generalized at the persona level is kind of useless, isn't it? Well, it's not just useless, it's potentially dangerous. You could make assumptions about your about your audience that completely offend them. <laughs> yeah, that's true. The downside of persona. <laughs> the deep, dark corner. Uh, but, no, but, but, but that's a fair point. I mean, you could. Uh, um, it, it could lead you to focus on the wrong things, at the mm-hmm. very least, which is da- you know, that in and of itself is damaging. Um, yep. And I suppose it does lead to a chance to offend. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, you know, we, we've talked since the beginning of this episode about the nature of having to create content for different groups of people, you know, whether that's with the, within an ICP or, um, you know, whether you're trying to actually craft these things the way you would have for each different type of persona you had, you know, back when you were doing early inbound. But you're still going to need to, it's from an account perspective, especially if you're targeting very specific accounts, you could still be looking to get as much for your dollar as possible in terms of targeting the right people within that buying committee. So, you know, if you're looking into those ICPs or those target accounts, where would you suggest people focus their energies when, you know, looking to looking to sell into an organization like that from an account-based perspective? Well, uh, uh, kind of two things. You can kind of, uh, you know, some people will look at it and try to talk about, uh, focus on more like the economic buyer. Who's the, who's the person who's, who, who basically, who, whose budget this is going to come from, uh, or is going to, you know, that has, yes, there might be a committee influencing the decision, procurement might be involved to ensure a fair process is followed that gets them a good deal but it's not procurement's budget that's getting hit uh, when they buy x y or z um so who is the ma- the manager that, that that's responsible for that that would be one way to look at it um but I, 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 it's also fraught with problems and and you know, there's a lot of complexity in B2B sales, so it's really, I think, hard to get a one-size-fits-all. I think probably you're best off to uh, uh, 
look, lean into the intent. If you're deploying uh, a program at an ABM level, um, leverage intent data, and and basically there are some platforms that allow you to uh, target advertising uh, only to the contacts within your target accounts that are showing intent. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it kind of in that way, you don't have to guess which person that might be. The platform's kind of letting you know, and you can serve yeah. up um, experiences over over the course of that that journey that gives opportunities that give that uh, time at some point some some opportunity for that person to convert and tell us who they are, right? Mm -hmm. um, at which point you can then personalize that experience to a greater deal. Sure, sure. Um, but I think it's probably almost enough to uh, customize the experience at the account level um, in some way. Like, you don't need to call them by their first name in order to have impact. The fact that you, your marketing communications even understands the company that it's speaking to yeah. and refers to that company by name and is customizing its industry content, et cetera, based upon the industries that are most important to that, that target account. Like, all of that could, you know, that's kind of enough. Which is, it, and it's still a lot, but it's a heck of a lot easier than writing custom workflows for 18 different persona groups. <laughs> exactly right. Exactly right. <laughs> Which we've been through before. Yeah, this is, look, this has been fun to kick around. I, I mean, I don't think that we're ready to completely uh, kill the persona. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I think, I hope we've, uh, cause people to at least question their utility and how they're being used in their organization and how much time they're spending doing them versus how much value they're getting out of them. Um, and uh, as always, we're uh, interested to hear what folks have to say. So if you have a, a defense of personas that you'd like to file, or uh, if you think that they should be killed, uh, let us know. Okay. Yeah. Podcast at coolapartners.com. Drop us a line. Good chat. Thanks a lot. Cheers. Thanks for listening to The Cooler Ring with Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Don't miss a single manufacturing marketing insight. Subscribe now at coolapartners.com slash the cooler ring. That's K-U-L-A partners.com slash the cooler ring.